When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. Well, the one-year anniversary of the disaster in East Palestine, Ohio. And look, over a year, this is one of these things where you go, we we knew how this was going to play out. Because every disaster kind of aligns in the same in the same way. Uh, lots of attention, lots of, oh my gosh, we can't, we got to do something. Uh, then corporate America gets in their lobbying dollars, goes in, you know, oh, it's not so bad. We'll, we'll make things right. You know, we'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll paint things. We'll, you know, we'll make new parks. It'll, it'll be better than it was. It'll be fabulous. And our elected leaders will get all divided and pitted against each other because the moment of urgency will have passed and well, nothing gets done. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And yet here we are. Uh, a year, a year gone, and nothing, literally nothing, to change what came around the East Palestine disaster. Uh, one thing that did change, though, uh, according to Public Citizen, they've done some new analysis of Open Secrets data, and what they have found is uh, Norfolk Southern had to dig a little deeper into their pocket this year, uh, this past year for lobbying, uh, about thirty percent more. Uh, in 2022, they spent about one, 1.8 million dollars on lobbying. Well, in 2023, it went up to 2.34 million dollars that they had to put out, you know, to go and grease the wheels and, and go and and convince our elected officials that no, no, we don't need to undo the nonsense that created the environment that allowed this to happen. No, no. And this is where I. On this this day and these kind of moments, I keep asking, you know, for me, it's not about red hat, blue hat. It's not about Democrats. It's not about Republicans. It's about people who've said, no, we don't need regulation. We don't need stinking regulations. Let corporate America do it. Corporate America will police themselves. We don't need government regulators. We don't need to have a dividing line between government and corporate America. No, no, the swinging door. You know, the revolving door is just fine. And this is where I struggle with where we are in this moment because we don't seem to learn the lessons. We don't seem to get it, do we? Because every time these disasters happen, it follows the same playbook. The crisis management playbook never changes. And yet we always seem to think, well, this this time, this time is going to be different. And it's not. And this is the frustrating part of this. You know, I've talked to red hats. I've talked to blue hats. I've talked to people with no hats. I've talked to people who they're not political at all. They just want to breathe clean air, drink clean water, and not have their bodies riddled with, oh, I don't know, dangerous chemicals. I don't know that that's too much to ask. 
But it seems, it seems maybe, all in the interest of of profit. And that that's what this this event for me keeps coming back to. I don't know that you needed to blow the cars. I don't know that you needed to do this extreme thing. Uh, in fact, we don't we don't have the information yet from the NTSB. Uh, I'm from people who who have studied this stuff. They're telling me not quite sure that we did the right thing. That the decisions were made more out of profit motive than out of what's good for the good and welfare of the community, for what's for the good and welfare of of our environment, for the good and welfare of of the people that. Well, their lives are still upended a year later. And, you know, before Christmas, we did an event to help raise money for, you know, for Christmas for people in East Palestine. And some of the stories of the people that we, we heard, we talked to, it's heartbreaking. You know, these folks didn't want this. This isn't, this isn't what they woke up on on the morning of February 3rd going, gee, I, I sure hope my life completely changes. These are folks who worked hard. These are folks who were playing by the rules. They were doing what they could do. Fighting for that little sliver of the American dream. And it is now upended for most of them. And the health the health part of it is huge. Uh, the fact that their property values are, are you know, basically gone. Huge. The little guy got screwed again. And are we surprised by it? And the answer is no. It, it's, it, this is never the surprise. And now you see the stories coming out that Norfolk Southern's going, hey, we're done. Hey, look at us. Look how wonderful. Look, look at a wonderful job we did. Look at this. Look at this beautiful park. Look how nice. We painted it. And yet the, the water still has problems. The air, from what people have told me, still smells a little funny. And... The hurt to the psyche is still there. But the profits, profits are back. Profits are good. And that's all that really matters, isn't it? When you see these things again happen over and over and over again, Wall Street never loses. The house never loses. It's we the people who lose. And that's the frustrating part in all of this for us because our government is supposed to be looking out for us. Whether it's Republican DeWine in Ohio or it's it's Joe Biden and the administration not doing enough to show what they were doing. Look, the resources were all going there. And this is where I'm going to defend Biden. The resources were flowing. They didn't make the show. If it were me, I'd had an army of people at the border ready to go in the second DeWine said go. And I don't know that we hold corporate America accountable enough, even close. And that comes back to the fact that we have a weak, a weak legislature. The fact that there's no legislation to, to undo some of the damage. There's no, there's no legislation to ensure that this doesn't happen again, that there's no action. That's what should be frustrating to us. I know it's frustrating to me, but I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I got a lot to get to on this. Uh, quick break. Right back. 
We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So we've passed the one-year anniversary of the uh, the disaster in East Palestine. And, and look, you know, everybody that we talk to uh, says the same thing. Yeah, they're, uh, they're doing something. <laughs> it's not what they should be doing. It's not what the EPA ordered them to do. And I remember, you know, just a couple of weeks after the disaster, the EPA said, hey, uh, you've got to clean this mess up. You've got to conduct all necessary cleanup work. Uh, don't just put lipstick on the pig. Don't build a nice new park, but actually clean up the mess that you made. And the question is, have they done that? And from what I've heard, the answer is no. But here to share some thoughts on, well, you know, what what are you seeing on the ground? That's why I've asked John Russell to come talk with us. John is the owner-editor of the Holler Newsletter. You can find that over at theholler.co. John, thanks for taking time for us. Hey, you bet. It's glad to be back on. Uh, hate that it has to be around such a, you know, recurring issue, but here we are. So walk me through what's what's going on. I mean, we, we a year ago, you have this 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 incredible disaster. Uh, a lot of people like me said something that probably could have been prevented with with sane regulation, with you know changes in how things are done, maybe ending precision scheduled railroading in the way that they're they're loading this stuff. Um, but you have this disaster, you have this this planned burn, you have all of this stuff happen. Um, what's happened since? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube when these things happen. And I think when we're looking back at this disaster over time, uh, we should really keep that in mind, that uh, the lessons to be learned from these things are more prevention, more control over very dangerous industries that at any moment might, you know, result in your town being exposed to a lot of chemicals. Um, if we're looking at actions to regulate, um, you know, companies like this, like Norfolk Southern, honestly, there's a lot of room uh, to be made up here. Um, fundamentally, you know, I looked, I, I looked back just before coming on a couple of these shows, and one of the things we predicted in our coverage, and, and it's not hard to predict, unfortunately, is just a complete stock price recovery of Norfolk Southern. You know, if you check the stock price on February 1st, 2023, to February 1st, 2024, if you actually held their stock all the way through this disaster, you've made money by now. Of course, but that's John, not a... that's not new. That's, that's every disaster <laughs> everywhere. Welcome to disaster capitalism. Every time there's a down, if you've got the money to get down when, when, when the disasters happen and you hold on to it long enough, this is how the wealthy stay wealthy and get wealthier. Mm -hmm. We, they create these disasters. They put the external costs on we, the people, and then they go to the bank. There's nothing surprising here. Or at least I don't think there is. No, exactly. So, I mean, that's what we've seen. Uh, we've seen, you know, the uh, one of the biggest recent stock price increases in Norfolk Southern came from an activist investor who wanted to remove Alan Shaw, not because uh, he perpetrated a massive chemical exposure to the people of East Palestine, but because 
of the profit metrics of the company, you know, that they, they, in their world, it would have been better if they spent less money cleaning up this stuff. So, you know, the, the, the toothpaste comes out of the tube. We should really look to regulation for all of this, but what we're seeing is a, you know, a complete recovery from Norfolk Southern, uh, chalking this up to the cost of doing business. All of the things that we've seen in previous disasters are basically happening here. And uh, I think a good metric is just go down to a creek bank in East Palestine. If you can kick a hunk of mud off of there and it, and it produces a chemical bloom in the water, are you going to trust it? Because you can still do that to this very day. Um, we need to see, you know, the federal disaster declaration be taken seriously. This was sent, uh, you know, recommended by the governor, hasn't been signed yet. Um, and, you know, also, too, you mentioned precision, precision scheduled railroading at the top of this show. At the end of the day, you know, the operating model of these companies hasn't been significantly threatened even by a disaster as large as East Palestine. We have not seen a major regulatory move that reduces the power of, uh, of the uh, rail industry to regulate itself. Um, we haven't seen any, you know, major uh, um breaks be put on to uh, their operating ratios or, or things like precision scheduled railroading. And until we really see that, until we see uh, a challenge to the power of these you know, huge companies, I think it's a fair concern uh, to be expecting, you know, who knows what kind of disaster. I yeah. mean, that's, those are the underlying issues and we haven't seen enough action on them. And, you know, look, you know, I had someone ask me, well, who's 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 to blame for this? Is this Joe Biden's fault? Is this the Republicans fault? I said, well, look, it's 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 not red hat, blue hat, in my view. It's green. This is about money. Yeah. It's always about money. It's always about corporate America getting what they want. And I look at the latest analysis from the folks over at Public, Public Citizen who have come out and said, look, you know, last year, Norfolk Southern spent 30 percent more on lobbying than they did the year before because they're trying to kill this railway safety act uh, that Sharon Brown's God and J.D. Vance are, are pushing uh, because, hey, look, th there might be a little regulation. It might be a little inconvenient, might ding the bottom line a little bit. But maybe we don't have people getting sick and, and, and rashes and the, the cancers that are probably coming and all of the, the horrible externalities that we the people end up getting saddled with. Yeah, that's for sure. And we're seeing the, you know, all of that is is great evidence for just the inertia of this system that we're kind of caught in. You know, everybody, you can pick an industry. It doesn't have to be a rail rail disaster. It could be, you know, banking, healthcare, whatever it is, prescription drugs, Um there's just, you know, the huge companies that run these markets, they go unchallenged. They have, it's like a snowball rolling downhill and only, and only getting bigger. Uh, you expose a town massively to chemicals and your stock price is great a year later. You spend a 30% more on lobbying and you kill the bill that might touch all the things that, that fed into why that this disaster happened. Where it just, it becomes real clear a year out from a disaster like this, just the staying power of the largest companies that control, you know, railroads in this interest, railroads in this example, but really everything else about our lives. You know, this is a, a little lens that we can look through into just how much corporate power is out there. No, it's uh, something we it's, talk about quite often, John. I mean, the reality is con corporate consolidation has, has, you know, affected all of our lives, especially, you know, after mm -hmm. the pandemic, the fact that, you know, the greedflation that we've suffered under, uh, you know, it has been at the at, at the will of corporate profits, but it's so much easier, though, John, to blame. It's all Joe Biden's fault. 
And this is where yeah. I'm, I'm not getting in the middle of that. You know, I, it's not all Biden's fault. This wasn't Biden's fault. Uh, but, you know, I wish they would have reacted a little differently. If it were me, I would have, even though the governor didn't want anyone there uh, of Ohio, I would have still had an army of people waiting at the Ohio border to go in. Uh, I, I think it could have been handled differently, but I don't know that he gets he gets the blame for this. I think the blame has to go back to Norfolk Southern. Blame goes to Norfolk Southern for sure. I mean, their train, their practices, their disaster, you know, and if you, it's easy to kind of look at whoever's in the office of president uh, of the presidency and, and blame them. But I don't think that's a, you know, a thing that's going to satisfy you over the long run. If you really want some action, we have to ask ourselves how much power should, you know, all of these companies at the top of their industry really have. And uh, in this case, if, if, uh, you know, the workers who wanted to go on strike for rail safety standards before this disaster happened were listened to, then we might have been in a different uh, environment where safety was uh, taking higher priority over railroad company profits. Um, so I think we all have to turn an eye to that. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about the kind of larger picture view here, but one thing I do want to put on uh, the one year look back here are things that we found out in the uh, NTSB investigation haven't gotten enough coverage. If you remember back when this was happening, we were told that this mass, everybody remembers the mushroom cloud. We were told that this, these cars needed to be blown up uh, because they were under imminent threat of spontaneous combustion, basically. Through the NTSB report, we learned that that was uh, nowhere near the case. The chemical company who owned the five vinyl chloride cars uh, is on record saying that the conditions uh, for rapid polymerization, basically these cars blowing themselves up, were never as big a concern as they were made out to be. We got a temperature and pressure chart uh, I never thought would, would be public, and it measured the temperature and the pressure inside every one of these cars that was blown up. You'll remember the day of the explosion. Uh, in the morning, only a single car was a concern, right? Right. Five cars were blown up. Well, we got the temperature chart that showed even the car that was a concern, by the time it was detonated, it was leveling off and cooling down. The other five cars that were added, by the way, the same day of the detonation, never did rise to a temperature and pressure level where it was, uh, you know, only one option to detonate these things. So I don't think we've gotten a real answer from Norfolk Southern as to why the evacuation zone was only one mile. There are regulations that say for each car that's in question, you have to have a one mile radius. We blew up five cars. We only had a one mile radius. Why was that? If the cars were leveling off and cooling down, why do we have to uh, detonate them and have this massive chemical exposure with you know all the concerns that come when vinyl chloride burns? These are still uh, questions that have not uh, been spoken to by the authorities on the scene that day. Uh, that, you know, I'm concerned aren't going to get media attention a, a year out. Uh, you know, we're going to have a little media snapshot here, but are we going to get those answers? I think we no, that's a good question. That. And I think we know the answer already without that getting the answer, which is uh, expedience. We need to get it. We need mm. to get those tracks open, John. You need to get mm. the get the trains rolling. Need the, Without the wheels moving, there's no money being made. And think about that. Think about that choice. You know, uh, open these tracks to make a little more money. Uh, but the cost of that is burning off nearly a million pounds of vinyl chloride and exposing everybody there to it. 
I mean, you know, it's just raw power, right? And the companies uh, to this day, after a massive disaster, they still have too much and uh, they need to be reined in, of course. But isn't this the failure of our, our system as a whole, though? I mean, we see this stuff time and time again and and we seem completely incapable of of acting uh, in the aftermath of disaster, we seem to, I mean, you know, I remember a time where we would come together and we would, you know, we would go through our representatives and something would happen. It seems like more and more we're just, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, slamming the fists on the table, a lot of wagging the fingers, but not much of getting much done. Well, yeah, I know I'm going to be preaching to the choir with this on this show, but, you know, organized money, capital, they have more than a couple of political parties. They have a base to be organized around profit, money, stock returns, all that. I think when you get right down to it, if you're looking uh, for a solution to, to counter the power of these companies, you have to have a base to be organized around. And to me, that's really the labor movement. You know, we should have listened to rail workers the first time around. We should be organizing everywhere. We should, uh, you know, constantly be, be replicating the union wins that we've seen uh, after this disaster happened, not necessarily, necessarily related. Uh, but the UAW wins, the Teamster wins, or, uh, people coming together and uh, not just being satisfied with winning a new and better contract at the normal places, but taking that momentum and organizing, uh, you know, Southern auto plants and everything. If we want to counter the power of these companies that is so on display with a disaster like this, the, the one way to do it is in the workplace where they extract their wealth. Uh -huh. So to me, it's just another underscore of organize, join that union, be active. Right there with you. And, you know, the, the idea of the being they may have all the money, but we've still outprocreated them. Uh, while yeah. we still have the ability to vote, we still have the ability the ability to affect change, and we should be doing this. But what do you say to the person who goes, well, you know, this is, this is East Palestine. It's in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Nobody really cares. It's flyover country. Nobody pays attention to this. Uh, these, these people are, well you know, they're disposable. What do you say to that argument that, you know what, that's the reason it's not getting the kind of attention that it should. I mean, anybody who thinks that, you know, a short answer would be to pound sand, you know? <laughs> but a longer answer would be, this could be your town. Uh, this could be um, anywhere in the country. It doesn't have to be a rail disaster. I mean, the same um, principles that led to this giant chemical, chemical exposure uh, are the same ones why your wages are low, why your health care uh, is, is the biggest private tax through your own premiums that you're paying for stuff that doesn't cover, uh, you know, the, the things that you need, right? The same reason why East Palestine is suffering under all of this uh, is, is can be traced to no matter where you are, um, things in your life that that are made hard by these companies who have you know rolled up all the ones under them have consolidated um they you know buy off congress and they you just live under their thumb right so if you think east palestine doesn't affect you you are uh it's the same thing but just a different yeah. uh, a different field right and at the end of the day we all need to come together and challenge that could be any one of us at any time. You're right, John. Last question I've got for you because you know I saw I saw some you know some some back and forth on social media that so that Norfolk Southern I guess they think they're done. I mean I, I you know kind of brushed their hands. We're everything's cleaned up. There's a nice new park. They put some shiny paint on stuff. Uh, you know the, the the lipsticks on the pig uh, or however you want to frame that. 
Uh, it's over. Is, is is that the sense you're getting? I mean, Alan Shaw can send uh, every person from East Palestine to college that he wants. He's not even doing that. He can come and open up a nice new shiny park. He can bring his press flax in here and write stories that the local news, you know, parrots. But uh, is it fixed if you can kick a hunk of mud off a creek bank and the chemicals bloom in the water? I don't think so. You know, I, uh, a person who didn't make it into our coverage uh, met an 80-year-old lady in McDonald's. This was back, you know, when everybody, all the reporters, even Trump came to the McDonald's. This 80-year-old person, she was named Linda, and she was just hanging out in there all day uh, drinking water. And the way she told me, or couldn't go back to her house because it smelled like an electrical fire. And I think about her all the time because... Um, she ended up in East Palestine for a fresh start. Uh, here she is, 80 years old, just a few years before that, lost her husband to suicide, lost financial assets and all of that, came to East Palestine for a fresh start. What's she going to do? What's she going to do? She can't wait around for a, a, a fund to be established to compensate her for the loss of value in her home. She's 80 years old. She's stuck there for, you know, their, her sunset years. And I don't think you could ask her that question and get an answer that everything's been made right. Um, so that's, that's the state. There you go, John. I appreciate you taking some time for us. Keep up the great work over there at the holler. I hope folks will take a look at the website, the holler.co. We'll get links out on social media. John Russell. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rick. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick at the Rick Smith uh, is, is at some point, do we push back on these corporate profits and well, all the stuff that uh, we end up getting saddled with? I want to hear your thoughts. Rick at the Rick Smith Quick break. Right back. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So, some some good news for our free speech TV audience. Uh, every day, like at this time, I say, hey, thanks so much to our free speech audience for tuning in. Radio folks, we're right back after this. Well, as of March 18th, uh, we will be expanding the little program to a full hour right here on free speech TV uh, and across our networks. Uh, looking forward to this March 18th, 5 p.m. Eastern time on Free Speech TV. For folks who don't know where that is, freespeech.org. That's where you go uh, to find the program. You know, go to the ricksmithshow.com. Always find stuff there. Uh, but looking forward to the uh, to the expansion of the new hour. Yeah, the whole the whole program. This has been the the year in the making. This is where we wanted to be in the new year uh, to be have our TV and radio presence. And to reach as many people as we can with, well, a common sense working class message. And look, the response has been fantastic. Thank you for everyone who's reached out to us. Uh, for folks who've got something to say, something on your mind, some thoughts, questions, comments, you can email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I do answer all emails personally. 
and sometimes we use them here on the program uh, to help, uh, you know, to help enlighten, educate, inform, enrage. And, you know, being angry in this moment, looking at what's happened in East Palestine over this last year, uh, if there's something to be upset about, it's the fact that, again, corporate America keeps getting away with the kind of malfeasance, uh, the kind of lack of oversight that, well, they're just going to police themselves. Uh, has it happened? Has it? We got a lot to do, folks. A lot to do. But for our free speech audience, hey, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back here next time for our radio, folks. We're going to take a quick break. Right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So I'm looking at Public Citizen's latest uh, analysis of some open secrets data. Uh, They pointed out that in 2022, Norfolk Southern spent $1.8 million lobbying Congress. That's just money in Congress. That's just, you you know, hey, we don't need any new regulations. Hey, we don't need any new oversight. Oh, hey, by the way, send us a little bit of some favorable goodies make us a little more profitable. Uh, That was 2022. Uh, 2022. Well, in 2023, in the aftermath of what happened in East Palestine, uh, their lobbying efforts, a little little boost, about 30%, according to Public Citizen, up to $2.34 million. And I got to tell you, probably money well spent uh, because we still have no new regulations, no new oversight, uh, nothing new that I've seen. Uh, But here to share some thoughts on, well, is there anything? Am I missing something? That's why I've asked Jared Cassidy to come talk with us. Jared is the Assistant National Legislative Director over at the Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transport Union. Uh, the smart folks, smart-union.org, the website. Jared, thanks for taking time for us. Thanks for having me. So uh, am I getting this right? Uh, Norfolk Southern spent a boatload of money, uh, $2.34 million in the last year, and we got we got nothing new. There's There's, there's nothing new. Yeah, I mean, they're one side of their mouth. They're talking about we're going to make the safest course. We're going to do what's right. We're here for the long haul. And on the other side of their mouth, they're spending 30% more money to make sure that no legislation comes down the pipe that would actually hold them accountable and, and make them a safer railroad. Now, you know, this this is predictable. And I, as I've said before, you know, the crisis management playbook is anytime something bad happens, you go in, you make a bunch of promises, you 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 paint some things, you, you make plant some flowers, do some stuff, do a lot of PR work, a lot of a lot of hey, look at how wonderful we are. And then you spend a boatload of money lobbying our legislatures both in the state and federal level. So nothing actually gets done to solve the original problem. And then at the end of it, after some bickering and some going back and forth, nothing actually gets fixed. Um, am I seeing this happen here too? Yeah, you're seeing it exactly right. I mean, that's exactly where we are. East Palestine occurs. You get a lot of smoke and mirrors. You get a lot of empty promises. You see a lot of money that's being spent in East Palestine 
you know, all superficial things to try to spin the narrative. Hey, we're going to do what's right. Hey, we're here for you. Hey, we're very sorry this happened. We're a new railroad now that this has occurred. But on the flip side, behind the scenes, maybe not so behind the scenes, because as you reported, it's out there for everybody to see. We're going to spend a whole lot more money to make sure that there is no one actually there to hold us accountable so that we can go back to doing the things that we want to do. You know, we may make some changes in the interim. We might make it look good so that when you when you peel back some of the layers, hey, Norfolk Southern is, a, is in fact the new railroad. But the reality is, is that there is nothing there to hold them accountable for the long term. Everything that they've done thus far can be changed right back with no repercussions whatsoever. And that's the reality of what's happening here. It's all superficial. You know, we're, we're, they're telling us on one hand that we're going to do the right thing for everybody and we're going to make sure we do it right for East Palestine. But the reality is we're going to spend a whole lot of money to make sure that we can undo what we may have done or we're going to prevent what we don't want to even occur in the first place so that we can keep running our business the way we want to run it, the way that we want to do things and the way we want to make sure that we're we're profiteering for the people on Wall Street. Safety be damned. Yeah, well, again, I come back to this seems to be the the crisis management playbook, and we're seeing it play out. And, you know, uh, some of the reports that I've seen coming out of East Palestine is, you know, Norfolk Southern's, I guess at this point, and maybe you, you could help me here, uh, they're saying we're done. We, we're, we, we've done what we said we were going to do. We've done what the EPA mandated that we do. Um, but from the people on the ground that I've talked to, no, no, not even close. No, they're they're not done. I don't know that they can ever be done. I don't know that anyone can ever be done in East Palestine after what happened with that train derailment and those chemicals. You know, going through the NTSB process and participating in the investigation and being there in the hearing and for some other things, I was able to make some relationships with some of the, the people that actually live there in East Palestine. And I say this a lot to folks in my union and, and folks that I might be speaking to, but what happened there is not okay. And Norfolk Southern wants you to believe that it's okay, that it's a cost of doing business. Even though it happened, hey, we're going to make it right. Never mind the fact that the folks that live in this community for the rest of their lives are going to wonder, when is the cancer going to happen? You know, is the water safe that I'm drinking? Are my kids okay to live here? And there is no definitive answer. So, you know, to your point, it's not done. I don't think that it can ever be done because the amount of harm that was done to that environment and to that atmosphere and to that community is is irreparable. And, and so just to assume or to say, hey, we've done our part, we've spent enough money, we've we've donated enough, you know, to the high schools and the uniforms. I mean, I don't know if you know or not, that that town, the high school football team literally has railroad tracks on their helmet. And it's almost sickening to me in a way that the railroad has spent so much money that they're trying to look like a good partner that people, some people are actually forgetting they're the ones that caused this and they're not doing the changes they need to make to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, railroading is still railroading. Norfolk Southern is still pushing forward. The accountability is not there because they're blocking the legislation on the Hill and, and tomorrow may be the same thing. It may not be East Palestine, but it may be another community that experiences the exact same stuff, and that's not acceptable. But they're just throwing money, they're washing their hands, and they're pretending like they've done enough. There is no enough in this situation. Now, you make an interesting point, the, the idea that you, you, you're never going to be, 
you're never going to feel secure in knowing that that the environment or the water you're drinking or the air you're breathing is is going to be the way it was on February 2nd, uh, 2022. I mean, it's it's um, it's it's remarkable to me. And 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 as you've said, you know, you're never going to make it right. And my problem is, is and this is where I come back to, you know, some of my my problems with with our government regulators uh, and the revolving door between corporate America and and the the regulators that should should be slammed at some point uh, very soon in my view is that you know I don't know which side some of these people can be on sometimes now I'm not I'm, I'm not saying in this particular case there's anything going on that's nefarious but you know the past has, has shown me differently the past has shown me other other things that that I'm, I'm I'm worried about today. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it absolutely does. The, the system is broken. The transportation regulatory system is broken. You, you don't have to just look at the railroads. You can look at Boeing for that matter. You know, here you have a, a plug door blowing out of an aircraft. And what we're finding out is, well, the regulators really aren't regulating that process. They're allowing Boeing and, and the manufacturer and the carriers to do their own certifications, their own self-policing their own self-governing. That's also true in the railroad industry. You know, the Federal Railroad Administration is not capable of actually policing the rail carrier. So what they do in turn is say, all right, Mr. Rail Carrier, we want you to handle your own inspection process. We want you to handle the certification of this. We want you to do all of these things. And oh, by the way, if you find something, we expect you to self-report and tell us about it. And therein lies the problem. It's true in Boeing and it's true in the railroad industry. The carriers hide this stuff. You know, the, the government acts as though everything is okay and they expect you, well, they have to report. They don't have to report anything. And there is a lot of manipulation of that stuff going on. And the men and women that I represent, they see it every single day. You know, the, the inspections, they're being told not to do inspections. They're being rushed through inspections. They're using less qualified people to do inspections. I put it on my own social media the other day. I think there's a new mantra in the railroad industry right now, and it's you can't find the defects that you don't look for, so don't look for them, and we'll say there are no defects. But the, there is equipment going out on the system that should not be rolling through the system. And that's exactly what happened in East Palestine, and the lesson has not been learned. And the government, unfortunately, is not equipped to fix it. They're, they're so they're so few and far between in numbers that they have to rely on the carriers to do the right thing. And the problem with that is that Wall Street puppeteer out there that's trying to control their purse strings, they're going to dance and perform for Wall Street every time. And that is a temptation, a distraction. That is that is something that has no place in this industry. And unfortunately, it is the boogeyman in the room that we cannot get rid of. Yeah, and again, this for me it comes back to the the whole uh, the whole call for deregulation, you know, from our political class. Oh no, we let corporate America, you know, the police, as you've said, police themselves. They'll do what's right because of, and I, I haven't gotten the answer to well because of what, uh, because they're afraid they're going to be sued, because they're afraid that they're going to have to clean up a mess, because they're afraid that they're going to be held accountable. Well, none of that stuff's really true because we're not seeing that here in this in this situation and haven't seen it in many ones in the past. That's exactly right. They're, the railroads are too big, they're too rich, you know, to say they're gonna do the safest thing because it makes business sense isn't true in the railroad industry. They can run the cheapest course and they can write off and pay for the things that occur and it not affect their bottom line. 
you know, if if you had held on to your stock on February the 2nd, 2022 through, or excuse me, through fe uh, February 2nd, 2023, and then through today or yesterday, February 3rd, 2024, you would have made money owning Norfolk Southern stock, despite the fact that they almost blew up an entire town. And it's, it's you know, that whole system is not okay. And it's something that we cannot allow to continue, but we do. And, and everybody seems to think, well, they're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And that's not true. Corporate greed is a very real monster and it has its grips on the railroad industry. Yeah, it's got its grips right around people's throats, Jared, and, and you know that as, as well as anyone does. Uh, it's 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 really just quite remarkable, and, and uh, I got to tell you, it's one of those things that, well, angering and frustrating and, and all of that. Uh, but, Jared Cassidy, I appreciate you taking some time for us. Uh, Assistant National Legislative Director of SMART, the Sheet Metal Air, Rail, and Transit Transport Union. You can check out their website, Smart Union Works. Uh, dot dot com or smart dash union dot org and take a quick break right back after this stick around you're listening to the rick smith show we are afge the american federation of government employees we represent 700,000 federal and dc government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of american life we support our nation's military we take care of our nation's veterans we protect our nation's borders we respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters we provide services to our nation's seniors the american federation of government employees we work for america Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Check out our website, thericksmithshow.com. So the question's always going to be, you know, did Biden do enough? Uh, could they have done more when looking at East Palestine? And and look, should we be doing more? Should we be holding people more accountable? Should we have more regulation? I'm always someone who says, yeah, we should have a little more regulation. The idea of corporate America policing themselves, I'm never buying. Uh, there's got to, it's, it's like, it's like saying, hey, Rick, police yourself on the highway uh, as, you're, as you're late for work. Yeah, that's going to work out really, really well. But here to share some thoughts on what's been going on down there in East Palestine and maybe some thoughts of what could have, should have, and, well, maybe what we do in the future. I've asked our good friend Bob Nay, former Ohio congressman and political analyst, to come share some thoughts. Also, resident of the, the nearby area. Bob, thanks for taking time for us. Well, thank you, Rick. Yes, when, when it happened in East Palestine, of course, uh, down in the Ohio River area from Steubenville down, which is where, you know, I live in the St. Clairsville area. And I was in Belair at that time. And there were a lot of uh, of warnings and fear, uh, things leaking into the water system because the table there is a is an enormous table. So there were a lot of fears out there uh, in cities that were would be deemed far away, let alone in East Palestine, which was the ground zero point. And so I think there's several lessons to be learned off of it. Dealing with the railroads, which I did when I was safety director for the city of Belair, and that outcome was a dandy. They sprayed, oversprayed, sprayed cars, and then didn't want to do anything about it. And they're very aggressive. Their mentality is aggressive. Their power is aggressive. Their lobbying is aggressive. So you've got the issues of how you handle you know, the, the railroads and what you do to make them come up to standards. 
But then again, if the government's going to do the process it does, which on this case in particular, and it's an example for the rest of the country, there were rules. One rule uh, was an internal rule uh, during Obama's time, and then Trump came into office, and the rule continued between two presidents, and then there was a, quote, lightning of the lightning, not lightning and strike, but lightning of the rule uh, so that it had, I guess, what you'd call wiggle room. That's not the proper way to do safety. We have safety boards. There's scientists who can weigh in on this. You can't take the railroad's idea of what they want to do for safety. So I think lesson learned there is that do these rules the right way because they're going to reverberate around. This is not the only switching station or area that this happened to. Remember what? Two more happened. The political side to it, Buttigieg, uh, came came a couple of days afterwards, and th- uh, somebody picked on the shoes he was wearing, you know, which is completely irrelevant. Uh, but he did respond. He worked with uh, Governor DeWine. The Fed and the state worked together. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you let up on it because that water and the resources and the land, et cetera, it's going to be have to it's going to have to be tested for quite a long time. Now, the railroads came in, and I think at first they were talking about a per-person couple thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah. But they're really good at coming in and saying, well, we're going to do this and do that. And then the heat gets off. And then everybody hopefully, quote, forgets about it, except the residents of East Palestine. And then you've got the political problem for the president. Uh, It's a year later. Probably better that he goes than he doesn't. But I've got to tell you, he's going to have to have uh, some thick skin on this one because this is going to be a jump on Biden day. I'm telling you right now. Hey, look, I've said from the beginning and I've said for every one of these disasters, I'm so tired of seeing presidents show up at these disaster sites because they're not picking up a shovel. They're not they're not filling any sandbags. They're not cleaning anything. They're not wiping the mold off the walls. They're not doing any actual work. They're showing up and they're using up a bunch of resources. I said this about Bush when he went to, you know, flew over Katrina. Shouldn't be there. Send resources. Here's an idea. Get that pen out. Start writing down on paper, you know, money to go into those areas to rebuild, to restructure, right. to maybe some new regulations so it doesn't happen somewhere else. But, you know, we got to go through this whole media junket. We got to go through all of this attack stuff because, well, evidently that's more important than the people of East Palestine. Right. I mean, FEMA, look, FEMA is, FEMA is the real key to this anyway. If you're going to ask me, do you want the president of the United States or somebody from FEMA there, and I'm the mayor, I want FEMA. Yes. I mean, it's nice to meet the president of the United States. I want FEMA because FEMA puts all of the of the product together. They look at the situation on the ground and they make the vital recommendations. So if you're going to ask me who I want, I want somebody from FEMA. No, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, and at the end of this, uh, what's frustrating to me is and, and we've talked about this before is, you know, this happens time and time again. You have a crisis. You have all the attention that's paid to it. A whole bunch of promises are made. A little lipstick on the pig, plant some flowers, do some nice PR work, and then a bunch of boatload of lobbying money, uh, politicians arguing about it. Well, we're going to do something. We're going to do something. Nothing gets done until the next time it happens. And then we and then rinse and repeat. And yet we never right. seem to solve the problem because here, the same thing that caused this still happening. Right. Correct. And and now the media focuses on, you know, the president or, you know, who wore what pair of shoes. 
instead of focusing on where is the outcome. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to go back to Iraq war. We still haven't even dealt with the people that lied to us on that. So, you know, I guess we don't we just I guess we just let time heal wounds. Yeah, the, the, the whole, uh, you know, the, 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 we've got the attention span of gnats. Uh, and, and, and look, there's the, that moment where I am always hopeful, where you go, maybe this time, maybe this time's going to be different. Maybe this time we're going to look at those people in East Palestine and go, hey, that could have been us. Right. Exactly. Right. Scary, scary stuff. I, I want to move on. I got a couple other things I want to get to. Uh, evidently, the Senate has uh, unveiled their bipartisan border security bill. Uh, up, uphill battle. I, I Again, I'm going to say what I said from the beginning. I don't see a border security bill passing. I don't see anything getting out of the House. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts. I think the Senate has to have, Oh well, I know the Senate has to have a vote on it, number one. They can't just acquiesce to the House saying, no bill, it's done, because Langford and Murphy, Langford being the Republican senator, Murphy being the Democrat, have went pretty far with this. And they've worked their colleagues and they produced text as they promised they would. And they've included a lot of other things in it. Ukraine was Mitch McConnell's issue. They've got Israel, which is an issue for everybody, but it's a Schumer issue also. And so they combined everything. I think they've got to have that vote for a couple of reasons. First of all, the vote's going to, it's dead in the House. It, it's absolutely dead. But they need to have that vote because they have put forth all of this effort. They are closer than than we have been. We, because I was there for 11 years, they're closer than we have been for 30 years to actually get something that could be the beginning. And here's the thing about the bill. Is the bill perfection? Of course not. Is it a good direction? Of course it is. It, it It's angering conservatives and it's angering progressives. So there's got to be something in the middle that's okay. And the progressives and conservatives can put their point of view into it. You have a conference committee normally between the House and the Senate and you produce a product. So it's it's a missed opportunity if the Senate doesn't take a vote. And I'll tell you why on that. If they take the vote later on, they can more easily bring up the measure and say, we had this vote once. This is what we passed. It takes away less argument down the road, although this is the greatest window of opportunity. Of course, the Speaker has has killed that. So let's launch to the House, Rick. Speaker Johnson has problems on this. Now, the Matt Gateses of the world and the Marjorie Three names, they're smart enough now, believe it or not, because it took what five speakers. I, but they're smart enough now not to throw him out now. They're going to wait till the day after the election. Yeah. They at least got... A little bit of wisdom on that. Somebody tugged at them. So they're not happy with parts of this. So the speaker's just going to pull out Israel and put it as a standalone. And by the way, he's getting some resistance from Republicans and Democrats on that particular issue because he's not paying for it. So Republicans came up with the idea to take the money to pay for that out of the United Nations food fund, aid, aid fund for the Palestinians. Oh, that that was a bright idea. That that one, the, uh, let's just do that, you know. So Johnson's wrangling with all this. So he'll put, Israel will go on its own on a vote, but he's taken the border bill and he has not went forth with it. So he's not giving cover 
to a lot of Republicans who now will have to say, well, I would have voted on it or I wouldn't have voted on it. It wasn't tough enough. You know, Donald Trump doesn't like it. I think they have a missed opportunity. And here's where Trump, if politically, his people could have convinced him, because I'm sure they thought, like I'm thinking and you're thinking, it's just he doesn't think that way. Trump could have said, here's what I want. You in the House, I want one, two, three, four, five in that bill. Do the amendments, you put the five things Trump wants in that bill. It goes to a Congress committee between the House and the Senate. How did Trump lose? You know, he, he would have called the shots. Instead, I oh, know, I want to campaign against Biden on this for the election. Yeah. And as a result, he takes some of the sting away. Now, Biden has his own share of problems for, you know, three years on the border and, and not being proactive. However, I think Trump took some of the sting that Biden has on the border issue by killing the bill because he wants a campaign issue. Well, they need the issue. I mean, as I've said a number of times, the issue is more important than the solution to them because, you know, um, you need you need something to run on. And what I found interesting is, you know, Trump is now saying and this is this is, this you know, grabbed my attention uh, that, that the Chinese Communist Party is evidently orchestrating all of this illegal immigration. Now, there's no evidence of, of that. Uh, and, you know, he, say, I guess he said he likes uh, Xi Jinping a lot. Uh, while accusing him and the Communist Party of China of of flooding our borders again with no evidence. And then, look, if that's true, you know, bring something to the table there. But to throw that out as a reason to kill this, I, I'm, I'm struggling with it. Yeah, I'm, if anything, there should be a border bill. And, and again, if the Senate says 5000 is the marker per day, I say marker. Uh, of where it exceeds that and the president can step in, the House could have said, no, 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 a thousand is the marker a day or two thousand is the marker a day. And then you have this give and take in a conference committee. Uh, and at least they would have advanced something. And that's what they should have done. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think nobody in the Trump camp thought about the fact that Trump could have gained quite a lot by almost controlling the House to do something on the on the border bill versus controlling the house to abandon the border bill. See, this is the thing because, that gets me, you know, Bob. If he becomes president, where does this go? Yeah, but this is the thing that gets me. The Republicans hold control of the house. I mean, by a small margin, but they they still have the ability to, to pass something by majority vote. They could have they could have said, "No, we want to shut the border completely." They could have come out with the, the ironclad, hardest bill possible. They could have done something. They still can. Sure. I don't think they're going to, but you know, no. nothing. There's nothing coming out of them. Right. They could have done it. And again, there could have been a conversation between the speaker's people and Trump's political people. And they could, they could have said, hey, why don't we do these five things? And then Trump demands at a press conference, five things be done. The House does the five things. Then it goes into a conference committee between the House and the Senate. How could he lose yeah. on that? Let me ask you the but dumb question here. That card. Let me ask mm -hmm. you the dumb question then. Shouldn't should we not be grateful that that he's not this competent? <laughs> well, I would think so. I mean, if if people want, you know, some type well, if you want a bill or you don't want a bill, I guess either way it works for you. Because when I saw that that it leaked out, you know, that he just he wants the issue against Biden. I thought that's that's not bright politics. 
You don't go admit something like that. You take another step to say, here's what I want. But it goes back to where he doesn't understand the legislative process. Never has, never will. He had Pence in there who came from the Congress, who came from the, the gubernatorial seat, who knows more about state and and federal government and they didn't listen to pence and obviously i don't know who they're listening to now they could have had a big win on this bill now it's going to be hypothetical of course he'll come out with radical things of you know shut the border down period and well we know where this is this is heading but we'll see comes across that border but as always bob i appreciate the time great stuff thank you Uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon thank you our good friend Bob Nay. I mean, seriously, this is one of those questions I ask myself all the time. Should I not be grateful that he's not he's not more competent? Uh, should I be grateful that the Republicans just don't seem to get that that part? I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick at the Ricksmithshow.com. I gotta tell you, I'm we gotta do something, folks. Uh, are you tired of seeing seeing the way things have been? I know I am. Uh like I said earlier, uh, we have outprocreated them. There are more of us than there are of them. If we could come together, we could unite and demand better. Maybe this stuff wouldn't keep happening to us. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick at the RickSmithShow.com. Miss any portion of the program? Grab the podcast. Thanks for being here. See you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick. Email Rick. At Rick at the RickSmithShow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.